Ray Bradbury was born in August of 1920, and he was an American author and screenwriter, and he wrote in a variety of genres. Some of those were fantasy, science fiction, horror, and mystery fiction. And he was known for mainly writing dystopian novels, like Fahrenheit 451 and The Martian Chronicles. He won many awards during his life, including a 2007 Pulitzer Citation. He wrote and consulted on a ton of screenplays and television scripts. And many of his books were adapted to comic book format, television format, and film format. <clears throat> he died in 19... Excuse me, he died in 2012. And when he did, the New York Times called Bradbury the writer most responsible for bringing modern science fiction into the literary mainstream. And in 1951, he wrote this book called The Illustrated Man. And The Illustrated Man had 18 science fiction short stories in it. And one of the themes throughout these 18 stories was a conflict that was going on between technology and the psychology of people. And there was one story inside of the Illustrated Man. It was called The Rocket Man. And, and The Rocket Man was about a man who went into outer space for three months at a time, and then he would return to Earth for three consecutive days. And he would visit his wife and his son, Doug. And the story is told from the perspective of Doug, his son, and Doug also wants to become a rocket man. But yet Doug knows that his father has a struggle going on. He wants to be in the stars, but he also wants to be at home as well. And, and several times, the dad wants to quit going into space. Because what's going on is that he's going into space, but he's also harming his relationship with his wife. So, before he goes on his final three-month mission, the father says, Doug, don't ever follow in his footsteps. Dad goes into space, vowing that this trip is going to be the last one. But he dies when his rocket falls into the sun. His wife and son now avoid going into the sun because of their grief and spend the rest of their days living in their home. The story was called Rocket Man. Welcome to the Stephen Thompson Experience. My name is Stephen Thompson and this is my experience. I'm a curious person who enjoys asking questions, searching for answers, and trying to figure things out. I'm not an expert. I'm a teacher, dad, husband, brother, friend, and a member of our human family. My desire is that we can all use our various gifts and talents to behave generously and compassionately. Join me today as I explore the story behind the song, Rocket Man, by Elton John. Rocket Man, now was officially titled Rocket Man, I think it's going to be a long, long time, is a song composed by Elton John and Bernie Taupin. Originally, it was performed by Elton John. 
first appeared on Elton John's 1972 album Honky Chateau and became a hit single, rising to number two on the UK charts and number six in the Billboard, US Billboard Hot 100. Now, on August 30, 2019, the song was certified platinum by the British phonographic industry for sales of up to 600,000 digital downloads and streaming. And with sales of 3 million in the United States, the song was certified three times platinum by the Recording Industry of America. In fact, Rolling Stone lists Rocket Man at number 245 of its 500 greatest songs of all time. Now, Rocket Man was thought of by Bernie Taupin. He was on the freeway going to his parents' home, and he kept repeating this stanza to himself. And uh, that's how he came up with the song Rocket Man. And obviously, he was influenced by the Ray Bradbury story, The Illustrated Man. In fact, Rocket Man, the story, influenced Bernie Taupin as he wrote the concert, as he wrote the song. And when I look at Rocket Man, and I want to look at these lyrics and sort of sort of riff on like what it means to me and talk about some history here. Now, here's what stuck out to me, and I think it's going to be a long, long time till touchdown brings me round again to find. I'm not the man they think I am at home. Oh, no, no, I'm a Rocket Man. Rocket Man burning out his fuel up here alone. And I think it's going to be a long, long time till touchdown brings me round again to find. I'm not the man they think I am at home. Oh, no, 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 I'm a rocket man. Rocket man burning out his fuse up here alone. And he says, Mars ain't the kind of place to raise your kids. In fact, it's cold as hell. And there's no one there to raise them if you did. And all this science, I don't understand. So there's one, the exhilaration of being in a rocket and going to space. But then there's the realization that if you're in space, you're alone. And there's no one there to help you. There's no community. There's no relationships. So now you have this battle going between the joy of your experience and the disconnection of your relationships. And then I want to think about inside of this the concept of speed. How do we feel about it? Can we survive at a slower speed? What do we think about contentment? And moving through various situations in our lives, from bad to good, good to bad, wisdom, discernment, and trying to figure out which direction we're going in. The fastest spacecraft we know launched from planet Earth was NASA's New Horizons mission, and that visited Pluto in 2015. Now, in January of 2006, this ship left the Earth at 36,000 miles per hour. Now, this ship, going 36,000 miles per hour, if it traveled in a straight line to Mars, there, there are several calculations on how fast it would get to Mars. Now, the closest possible approach would be 942 hours, and that's 39 days. 
The closest recorded approach would be 967 hours, 41 days. The farthest approach would be 6,944 hours, which is 289 days. On an average, it would probably take you 3,888 hours, which is 162 days, and that's traveling at 36,000 miles per hour. And it's not the speed only that depends upon you getting to Mars because the closest possible approach, the fastest we could possibly get to Mars, 39 days, depends upon a lot of other factors. The sun, the rotation, gravitational pulls, the alignment of Mars in orbit. So it's just not how fast you can go. But it's also there's a lot of things that are outside of our control. So if you want to go to Mars, you can go fast. But if you want to build relationships, it takes time. Time that you have to be willing to invest. And you have to invest in the change that you want to make. And in fact, your change may be difficult. And there will be many people who will not support you in attempting to change but you may need to change anyway. In fact, here's an example from history. Harry Washington, now he shared a last name with the future first president of the United States, George Washington. And the reason why Harry Washington shared the same last name with George Washington is because Harry Washington was purchased in 1763 by George Washington. He was purchased to work at what was called the Great Dismal Swamp which was located in southeastern Virginia and northeastern North Carolina. And uh, George Washington had established a company there to drain 40,000 acres of swamp and logs and move out trees to be able to build homes and build businesses. So Harry worked there, and then he was moved. After three years of working on draining the swamp, Harry was transferred to George Washington's plantation, Mount Vernon, to work as a house slave. And then again, he was moved in 1771 to another position where he was expected to build a mill on the property of Mount Vernon. Now, Harry did not enjoy this position. And he escaped. And George Washington paid one pound and 16 shillings to advertise in a paper the recovery of his property because he considered Harry his property. And there was a book called The Human Traditions in Black Atlantic that, that talked about this. Now, Harry was caught and he was brought back to Mount Vernon. And he waited and he escaped again. And this was at the start of the American Revolution in 1775. And then we go on and we have the war, American Revolution. But Harry Washington fought on the side of the British. Because the British published a document and said any slave who fights for the British 
can maintain their freedom. And Harry made it to Lord Dunsmore. And Lord Dunsmore was the man who made this proclamation. And initially there was 300 slaves who managed to escape. At the end of the war, 80,000 slaves had escaped to go and fight for the British. Now, when the war ended, George Washington wanted to get back his property. He wanted back his runaway slaves. But the British kept their promise. And in 1783, over 3,000 slaves, they're now freed blacks, got on a boat in New York, and they went for England, Canada, and Jamaica. And Harry, who was 43 at this time, set sail on a ship named El Abundance with his wife, Ginny, for Nova Scotia, and they settled in a place called Birchtown. Contentment. What is contentment? Well, contentment is a state of happiness and satisfaction. So what exactly is contentment from a biblical sense? Well, Philippians 4.11-13, Paul says this, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble hearts, and I also know how to live in prosperity in any and every circumstance. I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Now, contentment means being happy with what you have, who you are, and where you are. And it's respecting the reality of the present. It is appreciating what you do have and where you are in life. Contentment does not mean the absence of desire. It just means that you're satisfied with your present and you trust that the turns your life takes will be for the best. Now, here is what it is not. Contentment does not mean sit and accept negative situations. Contentment means here is the present reality. Harry Washington was a slave and he didn't want to be a slave anymore. And George Washington was not going to grant him his freedom. So his behavior was going to be one where he was going to be content with who he was. He knew that he was a capable, competent, strong individual who did not belong enslaved. So he accepted who he was. And he began to make steps to get to freedom because that's what he wanted. Contentment doesn't mean the absence of your desire. He was satisfied with his present and trust that the turns your life take will be for the best. So you have to engage in behavior that will get you to the situation that you want in life. Dr. Rick Hansen is a neuropsychologist and he's an author and he has several books. One's called Buddha's Brain. Uh, another one's called Just One Thing. Another one's called Mother Nurture. And Hansen, Dr. Hansen, he's also the founder of the Wellspring Institute for Neuroscience and Contemplated Wisdom. And he works for through a foundation at UC Berkeley. 
And he wrote a book called Hardwine Happiness, The New Brain Science of Contentment, Calm and Confidence. And he comes up with four steps for taking in the good. And he really talks about where this, this discontent lives in. This discontentment lives inside of our brains. And uh, we have a negativity bias, which he says is very strong. And he, he talks about how we can, we can turn our brains around into refuges and power centers for calm and happiness. And he, he talks about these four steps. He calls them four steps for taking into good. One is have a positive experience. Two is enrich it. Three is absorb it. And four, link positive and negative material. Now, this is what we can do in our minds because our minds are really the only thing that we have control over. I always like to go back to the book by Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning, and he was living in a concentration camp. And in the concentration camp, he said this, he said that, you know, the Nazis may have control of where he lives, they may have control of, you know, uh, what they do to him, but they could not control his mind. So in his mind, the one space where he still had freedom, he was going to think of positive things. And that's what we got to think ourselves. Who are we giving ownership to? Current situation, we could think that a, a virus may have control of my situation. And in, in some sense, it does. But, but if we are able to breathe, if we are able to, to, to think, then we have control of our mind. And for those people who don't, who are in a, a situation where, you know, they're ill, we, we pray for you, and we, we hope that the doctors and science, medicine, and care, and comfort, and compassion will help you get well. But if you're listening to me, you probably aren't in that position. You have the ability to say, hey, I am thankful for what I have today. I'm thankful that I have the ability to listen to a podcast. Like for me, I'm thankful right now that I'm healthy today. 2.14 on a Sunday in California. I am healthy. I have the ability to talk. I have a computer. I have an iPad. I have a microphone. I have headphones. I have a phone. I have shoes. I have pants. I have a shirt. I have ears. I have eyes. I have food. I have a job. I have money in the bank. And yes, there is this horrible thing that is running through our world. But in that... I can accept that. I can accept that there is chaos and calamity. But even in the chaos and even in the calamity, I can build a space in my mind where good can live and thrive. And I encourage all of you to do the same. Build that space in your mind that you have absolute control over and build your place of refuge. Thank you for listening to the Stephen Thompson Experience. I'm just a person who's creating content in hopes that it will land and give you hope and inspiration and possibly get you to see something from a different perspective. My behavior is simply to contribute. My hope is that you hear this, you will go out and be generous in whatever shape or form that looks like to you. Thank you for listening. Have a great week.